0: We're now going to spend some time looking at the scriptures together. So we are in a series in Philippians called Risk Everything. We clarified last week that risk everything doesn't mean to pursue chaos or to pursue suffering. What it means is to see Jesus as more valuable than everything else. And Paul's going to clarify this again and again throughout the book. So we are setting aside our investment in all the things of this world and we're turning our eyes to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, whatever that means, whatever you ask of me. And that's the call in Philippians. Now, one thing that's really interesting in the book of Philippians is it's written to a very strong church. I mentioned last week, this is a church in some ways, similar community-wise to our community. We've got a lot of retired military folks here, a lot of retired military folks in Philippi it seemed to be a very stable church a very diverse church a church that loved Jesus and was walking with him in faithfulness paul last week gave all these thanks for their partnership in the gospel for them pitching in buying in to what god was doing in the world through his church and so that's the general nature of the church and this is in contrast to a lot of other new testament letters i don't know how much of the new testament you've read but most of the other new testament letters that paul writes there's some kind of crisis the church seems to be kind of Teetering on the edge of falling apart, and so there's something unique here in Philippi that that they seem to be faithful. They seem to really be stable, and so what Paul is going to talk about there at the letter is this temptation that stable, obedient people have. It's a unique temptation we might have as we walk with Jesus, and that is to start to think that we've arrived, to start to think that we are mature. So Paul's gonna say later in Philippians chapter three, to really be mature is to recognize you're not mature. To really have arrived spiritually is to know you have not arrived, right? And so he's beginning some of those themes this week in his prayer for the Philippians. This week, as we look at chapter one, verses nine through 11, he's praying that their love would grow. Grow your love, Paul is saying. That's what I'm praying for in your life. So just as we've talked about in general with the series The temptation in uncertainty to kind of protect ourselves and to hide from the world, we're saying, no, risk. Go out there and do something. Similarly with our love, there's this temptation to say, okay, I've loved this person, I've loved God, my life is stable, things are okay. Paul's going to say, no, I'm going to pray that you would grow your love, that your love would abound more and more. I want to give you a word picture for this, an image that might help you to think about where Paul is going. Years ago, when I was the children and family pastor at the church in Temple, Temple Bible Church, uh, we installed new playgrounds and we did a big building campaign. We planted one tree by one playground. We planted another tree by another playground. One tree today is strong and big. It's got deep roots. It's healthy. It gives shade to the children of the church. It's just glorious and gorgeous. The other tree, it died it died. I found out later as I was, you know, planting, watering, and then watching the tree die years ago, that we had built this playground and built this space for the tree on top of the old parking lot. So we had put some dirt in the ground, put a curb around it, and planted a tree on top of asphalt. And what that did is it didn't allow the the water to flow. It didn't allow the water to move through there, and so it didn't stay fresh. It got rotten. It got nasty, and it just died. It got stagnant, and I believe that's a picture of what can happen in our life as well. If we hold back what Jesus has given to us, if we don't share, if we don't love, if we don't continue to follow him, and we don't continue to love other people, our lives stagnate. They kind of start to get rotten and curl up and die. That's not what we're made for. We're made for receiving the love that Jesus has given us and then sharing that love with others. We're we're made to grow the love that he's put in our life. So let's look at the text here. It's in Philippians 1, verses nine through 11. This is Paul's prayer. Verse nine, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more With knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It's a short little section, but this is his prayer for the Philippians, and this is now setting the trajectory for the rest of the letter. Paul is saying, you guys are strong, I'm so thankful for your partnership in the gospel, but I'm praying that your love would abound more and more, that it would grow, that your love would multiply to the glory of God. So now I'm gonna pray for us. This is not just Paul's prayer for Philippi, but it's Paul's prayer for us as well, right? It's his prayer that we would grow, that we would multiply and abound in our love. So let me pray that God would help us to hear this and to grow in our own spiritual lives. God, we pray that you would meet us here. We thank you for your word, that you speak through it. We believe that you teach us, that you've, you've spoken to us in this word, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us to hear and receive this word, that you would make our hearts tender, that you would make us open to you, that you would guide us, that you would shape us to be more and more like your Son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, again, the temptation for us, for the Philippians is to think that we've arrived. There's an opposite temptation some of you might fall into that's also mentioned many times in the scripture, and that's to run away from Jesus by just saying, forget you, I'm gonna do my own thing, right? We sometimes call that the irreligious temptation or the non-religious or the libertine reaction to the gospel, and that is, I just don't believe in sin, I don't believe in God, I'm gonna go do my own thing, I'm just gonna pursue my own pleasure, right? But here, he's focused a little more on this other religious temptation. Those of you that are already committed, those of us that are already committed to following Jesus, we're going to be drawn a little more to this religious temptation to think that we can square ourselves away, that we can get our lives in order, do the right thing, and we forget to actually grow in our love and our risk for others in the name of Christ. And so he's speaking to those of us that are a little more religious this morning, but I think there's going to be great application for for everybody as we look at this text. And so as we look at the temptation to not grow our love, to shrink our love, to be stagnant and not growing, there are three things that he shows us that are going to take place if we keep growing our love. Three realities about love. One is that love keeps learning. Love keeps learning. He's talking about knowledge, insight, discernment. Love keeps learning. We can't just coast It's not something that just happens naturally or by accident. Love keeps learning. The second thing is that love is tested. We think that love is easy, right? That's what our culture tells us. No, love is tested. Love has to be strong and strengthened. Love is tested. The third thing he'll show us is that love points to God. That's that ending where he talks about the praise of God. Love points to God. It points outside of ourselves, all of these are in reaction to the cultural definitions of love, right? Remember, what, how does our culture define love? Our culture tends to define love in romantic ways. Sometimes it's defined in just kind of, a, I like something, right? Like I love pizza or I love barbecue. That's how we use the word sometimes. But a lot of times when we try to go a little deeper than just loving pizza, we talk about it as human to human and we're generally thinking just in romantic terms, right? I love someone or I've fallen in love Really, we just mean attraction, and that is not the biblical definition of love, right? Like, the Bible blesses, you know, husband and wife being attracted to each other. That's fine. That's good. But that's not love. That's another thing, right? So we need to be really clear on this culturally, that our culture is misusing the word over and over and over again. So it's just going to bleed into our brains. And we're going to think, oh, yeah, love is attraction. Love is really, really liking another person, dating someone, marrying someone, right? Right? No, that's not the biblical definition of love. Love is actually serving someone, committing to someone, taking care of someone. Love is an action. Love is a verb. It's not just a feeling that we fall into accidentally. So we need to be clear on this as we move forward. So the first thing that Paul is gonna press us on as we think about not stagnating but growing our love is that love keeps learning. Love keeps learning. As human beings, we need to be taught We're babies in the world of love. We don't really know that much. And we need to learn from the master who is Jesus himself. And that is the center point of this entire book is look to Jesus. Philippians 2, look to Jesus. He's the example of love. What he did for us. That's what we should do for each other. Consider others more important than yourselves. Care for others. Sacrifice for others. The way that Jesus did for us. He's the example. And he says it this way in verse 9. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. That just means it keeps going, doesn't stop, it's not stagnating, but it's flowing, it's moving, it's growing, it's increasing, it's multiplying, and that it may do that with knowledge and discernment. With knowledge and discernment. These are learning words. Knowledge and discernment. Knowledge in the Greek is kind of more of an epic, like ultimate knowledge word. Discernment is more of a practical wisdom kind of word, like judging things, figuring out life, seeing how life works. The knowledge word is epigenosis. Uh, I always remember the Greek word genosis because it reminds me of knowledge. You know, we spell knowledge weird with that extra K. And, and it's the way the Greek word is too. It's gnosis. So epigenosis is like this extra, epi. It's like ultimate knowledge or extra knowledge or deeper knowledge. Now in the first century world, you were promised this kind of ultimate knowledge by following the secret rituals of a mystery religion or maybe joining a really important club. That's how you would get ultimate knowledge of deeper things, right? You had to work your way into it. You had to fight through the difficulties to get that ultimate knowledge. And the New Testament, the Apostle Paul specifically turns that on its head and he says, no, ultimate knowledge is free and it's given away by Jesus. The ultimate, mysterious, inner circle of the universe is this holy God that cannot stand our sin. And you know what he does? He opens the doors to heaven through Christ. He's nailed our sins on the cross with Christ. Through Jesus' resurrection, he's defeated sin and death once and for all, and so we're invited to the ultimate inner circle. So if you've ever felt like left out, like man what are the secrets to get into this graduate school or to get this new job or to get this person to like me or to break into this circle if you've had that feeling before the god of the universe he is at the center of the ultimate inner ring and he's inviting you in through christ through what jesus has done for you repeatedly paul takes this word a very religious word of their day ultimate knowledge this deep spiritual knowledge and says you know what It's not that you're not good enough and you got to keep scrapping and fighting and doing rituals and doing all these things. No, it's that you're not good enough on your own. You can never scrap and fight enough to make it in there without Jesus coming and grabbing hold of you and bringing you into that inner circle. So all the self-help books today do the same thing, right? They keep offering us the promise of you can get ultimate knowledge if you just follow these steps if you get the right diet. If you study the right thing, if you do the right thing with your money, if you do the right thing with your relationships, just follow these steps. You'll have the right knowledge. You'll be breaking into that inner circle. The Apostle Paul, the gospel is saying, no, it's through Jesus. This ultimate knowledge comes through Christ. He's the way and the door. And Paul here is talking about this as if it's an ongoing process, right? The New Testament's pretty clear. If you've seen that Jesus died for your sins and you've asked him to forgive you, He forgives you, it's done, you're in, right? Nothing can snatch you out of his hand. And then Paul says, keep learning this. You're like, wait, I thought it was done, I thought I was in. Yeah, you're in, but as we learn, we grow in our ability to love others. We grow more in our love of God, we appreciate more all that Jesus has done for us as we learn more and more who he is and what he's done, and we're actually changed, we begin to have the ability to love other people. Instead of being just worried about ourselves, we can actually then serve and love others. I grabbed a picture of somebody studying. Wanted to kind of get this concept in your mind, little kid studying. This has been a really difficult year for school. A lot of people's work has been disrupted. Their education has been disrupted. You know, it's hard to learn online. It's distracting. It's confusing. There are always going to be obstacles in your way to learn. And one of the obstacles that's gonna make it hard for you to study the knowledge of true love is you've constantly got a world telling you that Jesus is not enough. You need all these other tricks as well. You need these other things. You need to study them, and they will make you okay. And Paul says, no, Jesus is who makes us okay. Study Jesus. Learn about Jesus. Don't just coast and think that you've arrived, religious person that's had an experience, that's trusted Jesus, but keep going back to Jesus. Keep learning, keep loving, keep meditating on Jesus and what he's done for you. And again, Paul makes this the center point of this whole letter. He says, those of us that are already mature in our faith, like the Philippian church, those of us that are walking with Jesus, you know what we need? We need more Jesus. We need to look at his example. We need to say, look at Jesus, who gave up the comforts of heaven and gave himself away for us. He risked everything for us. We should risk everything For others in the name of Jesus. That's the picture. He also uses this word discernment. Discernment's a little more of a practical word. And so, what I want you to think about is the ways in which we look to Jesus for ultimate knowledge and we keep looking for Jesus to shape our worldview and to help us understand what it means to love Him and to love other people. But there's also a practical discernment in which we actually learn practically to love other people. A simple way to think about this is that as you're spiritually transformed, you actually have the freedom to think outside the box of your own equipment and experiences, right? To grow in wisdom, Proverbs says, is to grow in your fear and honor and awe and amazement at God himself. So as you look to Jesus as the ultimate source of knowledge, you'll actually grow in your discernment, your, your practical day-to-day application of love, an example of this that a lot of marriages look to is the five love languages. Any of you ever heard of this, the five love languages? The, the basic concept, it's not really magical or anything, but the basic concept is we tend to love people through the, the window of our own temperament, right? Um, so like the five love languages are like encouraging words or time together or gifts or acts of service, right? So the idea would be like I'm very much a, like a words of encouragement kind of person I might want to encourage you and say, you know, things are going to be all right. I've spoken words of encouragement to you. But really, you understand love in terms of service, right, or time with or physical affection. And so at one level, you don't feel loved at all, right? That's just kind of like a practical level of discernment. You actually will get better at loving people as you learn to think outside the box of your own equipment, you know, like, well, this is how I like to be loved. What about everybody else? So like at one level, you could just kind of love by your own flesh, and according to the five love languages, that means that like one-fifth of the population would feel loved by you, right? (laughs) You're leaving out some other languages there. Um, In our own marriage, my wife is really good at challenging folks, at looking at truth and saying, hey, we want to line up with the truth, right? She's, She's good at that. I'm really good at saying, there, 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 it's gonna be okay, right? Like (laughs) patting someone on the back and not challenging them, frankly. How do we know when we're supposed to use my gift and her gift? How do we know that? Well, it's through ultimate knowledge of Jesus. It's by the Holy Spirit. It's by continuing to look at him and seeing who he is and how he's loved us. And as our life gets more and more shaped by the story of Jesus, we know when to use our gifts and when not to use our gifts. We all come with natural gifts, and and we should use them, but sometimes people need something different, and and ultimate knowledge of Jesus grows us in our actual day-to-day discernment. Love learns. Love doesn't just coast, but love learns. Another illustration of this is a book I read on management called Good to Great by Jim Collins. What Jim Collins did was he analyzed the corporations that were good, healthy, made a profit, And then he compared side by side to the corporations and the companies that just like took off that were great, right? The good companies and the great companies. You know, like this drugstore kind of, they did all right. They did pretty well. And then this drugstore just took off like hot cake. It was just amazing. And they did great business and kept growing. And he said, what were the differences between good and great? And this is one of the key differences. Companies that just coasted when things were fine did not continue to grow. They didn't abound, right? They stagnated. And the companies that were great, they said, we wanna keep learning. We wanna keep getting better. That's the challenge that Paul is bringing to us, right? I mean, that's a secular example. But Paul's saying, don't just stop where you are, but keep growing. Jesus has work for you to do. Keep looking to Jesus as your source of love and then keep applying what you're learning, the knowledge of how you're growing and understanding who he is. So if you're a follower of Jesus, ask yourself this, am I coasting or am I continuing to look back to the example of Jesus as my source of ultimate knowledge of what love is so that I can grow practically in learning how to love people in different situations? Am I using my gifts only or am I also drawing on the rich resource of who Jesus is, the gospel story of what he's done for us? If you're not a follower of Jesus, I would really encourage you to also follow this paradigm of looking back to who Jesus is. If you're not already committed to him, I'd say read the gospel stories. One thing that really worries me about folks that turn from Christian faith or from the church they were brought up in is they might hear, you know, a couple of convincing skeptical arguments and then they just stop. They stop learning. They don't go back and and review the documents, right? Like maybe they look up that one confusing verse and then they're done. No, like read the gospel stories of Jesus. These are the most reliable and authentic ancient documents in the history of all ancient documents. It is irrefutable. If you don't believe that, let's talk about it. Because by all secular standards, our documents are the best documents in the world. And that's not even the point. The point is, look to Jesus, right? We got good documents, read them, right? Don't be lazy. Don't just say, well, I heard this one thing that made it easy for me to not believe, so I'm done. Go back to the story of Jesus. Keep learning. Look at how he loves and let that challenge you. Don't be stagnant, don't be lazy. The next idea is that love is tested. Love is tested. We see this, to use the tree analogy again, um, trees that are blown in the wind, they become stronger, right? Uh, if, they're never, if they never have any forces or pressures put on them, they can be weak. And that testing can actually increase their strength. We see this in verse 10, love is tested. Verse 10 says, so that you may approve what is excellent. That approve word can literally be translated as tested, approve, test, approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, You can be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The idea here is not that you would never sin again, but that you would have this growing transformation in your life, that you would more and more look like Jesus, that you would be more and more shaped and conformed to the image of Christ, pure and blameless. And one of the beautiful things about this word pure, it has this little built-in word picture in it in the Greek, and it's literally sun-tested. To be pure is to be sun-tested, and this comes from the world of pottery. Um, I grabbed a picture of a pot here. Uh, In the ancient world, you could sell a pot with cracks in it, and it would probably be kind of cheap because it had cracks, right? And those of you at home, you know, sometimes you you have a pot or something that's cracked, you can kind of keep using it for a while, eventually you're like, ah, this is not good, we need to throw it out, right? And so you can still use a, a cracked pot and that's okay, But what a lot of people would do is they would fill the cracks with wax and then repaint the pot so it would look new on the outside. So this common practice in the ancient world and all cultures, it just became a standard Greek word for pure. It's this word sun-tested. You go to the marketplace to buy a pot, you pick the pot up, you hold it up to the sunlight. And you look in the sun and you see if there are any wax-filled cracks, we can see the sunlight trickling through, glowing through the cracks, saying our lives should also be sun-tested. People should be able to pick up your life, turn it around, and look at it, and they should see that you're actually receiving love from Jesus and then loving others in return. Again, the religious temptation is to play a game of deception, a game of faking it, where we say, The point's not really to love. The point is to look like you're loving, right? The point's not really to serve others and to sacrifice and help them, the biblical definition of love. That's not really the point. The point is to appear, to have an image, to look on Instagram as if I'm a loving person. That's the point. And we're tempted to do that today just like they were tempted to do that in the ancient world. Paul's saying, no, allow your love to be tested. It will grow and through this Testing it will be approved and it will be shown to be real and legitimate. Our theme for all of Philippians is that we would risk everything. And I was really challenged as I was reading the auto or the biography book about Jack Miller. It's a book called Cheer Up that just came came out around the, the turn of the year. Great book. And one of the things that happened in this guy's life, who founded a mission agency, is more and more he realized that as he risked everything and tried crazy things. Sometimes he would fail, but more than that, it forced him to pray and rely on God's spirit instead of just relying on himself. That's what Paul's talking about here. Real biblical love is risky. It's hard. It's difficult. It presses us beyond our own abilities. And as we step out and take these risks, we're allowing our love to be sun-tested. Here's the beautiful thing. When that happens, sometimes people are gonna hold up our lives and they're gonna see cracks. And it's not devastating for the believer. If you're a believer, if you know that Jesus loves you, then recognizing your faults and repenting and growing through those things is not overwhelming. If you're not a believer, if you don't have hope in Christ, then that can be the scariest and most painful process in the world to actually admit your brokenness because if you've got cracks, then, then what are you? You're nothing, right? But in the gospel, if we have cracks, God says, I love you. I've forgiven you. We'll work on this. It's going to be okay. So that Paul can use the same illustration in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, and he says, we've got this treasure of the gospel in jars of clay. God did that on purpose, on purpose so that people can distinguish between our brokenness and the perfect love of Jesus himself. And so the gospel enables us to continue to let our life be examined, right? Christians actually invite other friends and community to say, hey, will you pray for me? Because I'm struggling, I've got a crack here. Will you pray for me and help me and support me and help me to grow in this area? That just, without Christ, that doesn't make sense. But the gospel frees us to be transparent, to let our lives be held up to the sun. Yeah, there's a crack there. Yeah, I need more I need more of Jesus. I need your patience. I need his patience. And we'll grow together. And so Christians invite that sun testing by just asking for help and people to look into their life. We also invite that sun testing. We let our love be tested by trying crazy love, by, by doing insane things, by risking and serving. Creating new ministries, walking across the street, walking across the corridor at work, asking if you can pray for your friend, serving people, listening to people, helping people. As we do that, we'll learn to depend on the Holy Spirit more and more, and we will be sun-tested and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. All right, the last point is that love points to God. This transition helps us to see, okay, well, really, it's about God, right? It's supernatural. Because there's no way, apart from the gospel, that we can pass the sun test. None of us pass that test, right? Apart from the gospel. So if we continue to lean into the gospel and trust in the gospel, then verse 11 starts to be, come true in our life. Love points to God. Look at verse 11. He says it this way, we'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So through Jesus Christ, it's Jesus dying for us, rising for us, giving his perfect life. By faith, we trust in him, we're renewed, we have a new relationship with God, we're in the inner circle, we're walking with him. He starts to change us. Galatians 5 uses the same language. This spiritual transformation leads to the fruit of the spirit in our life. Here he says the fruit of righteousness. In Galatians 5, he says the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, right? He says These are the spiritual effects of having this treasure in our jars of clay. We start to produce real fruit. We actually start to do right things. We actually start to help other people. We live supernaturally. We're we're changed. We're not the same anymore. So this comes through Jesus Christ. It can't come by our flesh. It can't come on our own. It's only Jesus at work in our lives. And this then is to the glory and praise of God. Glory Old Testament word, the weighty substantialness of God. New Testament word, the, the beauty, perfection of God, right? Both words pointing to two aspects of the same thing. The awesomeness of God. When people look at our life, they're like, man, God is awesome. A cross reference Jesus gives us in Matthew 5, right? He says, let your light shine before men that they will see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That's the point. That's what we're living for. We, we do good not to say, look at how awesome I am, increase our followers online. No, we, we do good to actually help people and to give glory to God, that people would praise him. Peter talks about that. Matthew 5 talks about that. We do these things so that people would give praise to God because they see him at work. They recognize this isn't something that could have just happened naturally. They're not faking it, right? And again, going back to the problem of people walking away from the faith that I see more and more in this current era that we're in, um, a lot of that is a reaction to fake spirituality. It's a reaction to, to fake fruit. Um, a lot of times we we try to act like we've got it together and we don't actually have it together, right? So Christians, of all people, can admit, I don't have it together, but I'm trying, right? <laughs> Jesus is my only hope, and I'm gonna take next steps of obedience. I'm gonna do the next thing and the next thing, and I'm gonna walk with him, and I'm gonna try to love people better, I'm gonna try to do the righteous things he asked me to do, but I can only do it because of the supernatural work of Jesus Christ. It's only through Jesus Christ that I can bear any fruit. Um, There was a sad, sad song by Radiohead called Fake Plastic Trees. It's just a lament song, and it's about the modern world we live in where everything feels so fake and artificial, and it just wears on you. And the song, he's just kind of moaning. It's interesting, the song was a hit by Radiohead, and then it's been redone by like three or four other artists because it's the spirit of the age. It's just like this world is just broken, and it's fake, and it's gross, and it makes me tired. People are longing for authenticity, and authenticity in our weird, manipulated world, we often try to frame and fake authenticity even, right? It's only through relying on Jesus that we can be spiritually authentic and actually Love other people. Again, Paul's going to keep taking us back to Philippians 2. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And as we see him, we can't help but be changed and begin to love others in an authentic way that then points other people to Jesus. So we're not saying, look at me, look at me. No, we're saying, look to Jesus. I grabbed a picture here of fruit snacks. It was interesting. I was Googling for illustration, you know, fake fruit, uh, fake plastic trees, et cetera, et cetera. So Googling fake fruit, I came up with a story about fruit snacks. Anybody here enjoy fruit snacks? They're pretty good. They're kind of like gummy, jello-y kind of things, right? Um, But you know it's not fruit, right? You you know that? You know it's not real. So here's a little just dietary advice for you. Um, If something comes in a box and it doesn't come off of a tree, it's generally not real, right? Generally fake. I'm not saying that's wrong. I enjoy all kinds of fake things, right? There's all kinds of fake things we can eat and our bodies seem to be able to handle it just fine. But there's this huge lawsuit where people are suing this company because the company was saying that it was real fruit and vegetable flavoring, right? Like there was no nothing fake, nothing artificial. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, but if you pull little rubber fruits out of a box, you, you should know it's not real, right? Like, don't people just know that? Um, and I, I share all that to say, we live in a world that's incredibly confused about all this, right? Like we're so confused. People are eating fake rubber jell fruit and then suing the company because they thought it was real? Like we know it's not real. There's so much in our world that's not real. People are dying for you and for me to be real, to have the real spiritual fruit of righteousness, of actually loving other people because we know that Jesus loved us first. Only as we look to him does any of this make any sense. The two greatest miracles, and I want to continue to, to pound this into our brains, the two greatest supernatural miracles that God works in this broken world are us trusting in Jesus to forgive us for our sins, to be adopted by him, to be in his family, and then us being transformed by that reality and starting to live for others instead of living for ourselves, starting to obey God's rules instead of our own desires, starting to obey what God has told us to do in his word instead of obeying what just feels right in our own hearts and minds. Those are the miracles that God is doing. That's the supernatural work that is done through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God, and that's what he's calling us to. No matter how much we've already been walking with Jesus, he's calling us to keep growing to keep abounding in our love, to keep growing our love through learning about him, who he is, what he's done for us, through continuing to be sun-tested and allow our lives to be held up to critique and investigation, and then finally to love in a way that that points to God. Grow your love. Psalm one gives a beautiful tree picture of this, right? Psalm one says there's basically two kinds of lives. There's lives that are Rooted and grounded in the lies of man, and then there are lives that are like trees planted by living streams of water, they are rooted and grounded in the word of God, in God Himself. Are you, like Colossians says, being rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus? If you are, then your love will continue to grow for God's glory and for the blessing of your neighbors in our city. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are changing us by what Jesus has done for us. We confess we need you, Lord. We confess we are weary in a world of fake plastic trees. And we pray that you would make us real. God, will you shape us? Will you help us to have our hearts broken by your love for us? And then that we would be the kind of people that in real, authentic, supernatural ways, love others. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.